0: So if we, this is a fun question to ask. I remember asking this question and being asked this question in Sunday school when I was a kid and like like the working out of what life might look like. And so if, if you had a list and you, you were a type, that type A personality, how many of you write stuff on your list that you've already done just so you can cross it off? Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're addicted to the serotonin release when you cross it off. That's how it works, right? So yeah, we we have the list, but I'm not a list guy, so I like like, webs and weird things. And so uh, what would it look like if, if we're doing the list part? What would be the first thing on your list? And all the good people of the church said, Jesus. Good job, right? Yeah, Jesus would be the first on your list because the reality is that Jesus didn't come to this earth and walk in these dirty streets with sandals on. Jesus didn't come and interact with humanity and be and die a sinner's death and rise again and conquer the grave so that he could work his way into your top ten. Right? Jesus didn't do all that so that he might work his way into your top ten. Jesus did all that so that he could be at the top. Right? All knees will bow to the name of Jesus. Jesus is at the, the number one if you're the list, or is that the center if you're the webby person, right? Uh, Jesus desires um, to be at, at, on the throne of our lives and the throne uh, of our hearts. One of the major reasons I think about um, that and, and what that means to me uh, is, is number one, that Jesus wants the best for me and wants more than I could ever dream for myself, right? Like, there are times where I get tired, and, and, and I sit down. I get tired, and I don't want to move forward anymore. I, I get discouraged, and that's just it. Like, if it was just me and alone, and it was, it was all me and all my power and all my energy, like, there, there's not going to be much, right? Jesus wants more for me than I want for me. And so when I give my life to Jesus, I have this great, there's this great anticipation that happens. That Jesus is going to lead us forward, just like we talked about in the prayer time. That that he's not going to leave us where we are. He's going to call us forward into something greater than we could ever imagine or ever comprehend. And so we place Jesus, we invite Jesus, we we are shaped to to know Jesus at the top of our list and at the center of our lives that affects absolutely everything um, that we do in life. So that the goal of a fully devoted follower of Christ is that Jesus is at the top of the list or at the center of everything. This is where God is leading us as his people. But if you're honest, like I am, it's difficult, right? This life is difficult. It's difficult to to keep our priorities straight. Sometimes the fishing comes to the top of the list, right? Or sometimes something else comes to the top of the list. It's difficult to, to remember that Jesus is Lord and we are not. It's difficult when we're in the business world and our coworkers are cutting corners at, at every turn. And, and rather than get demoted, they get promoted. And we have to remember that Jesus is Lord and we are not. It's difficult when I'm in school and I'm trying to make good decisions and I'm trying to do things right, and everybody and everything around me is calling me to something else. It's difficult to remember that Jesus is at the center. Jesus is Lord. This life is difficult. And there's so many other areas in life where we can struggle to put Jesus first. We can struggle to have Jesus at the center influencing and shaping everything that we do. and one of those eight major areas that we will, will probably guaranteed to struggle with in life uh, is money. You got a little uncomfortable, right? Remember, we talked last week about congregational blocks, a time where we spend as preachers thinking about how you think about what we say and the walls that come up. And I'm going to go ahead and guarantee that when I said money, we had a little bit of uneasy feelings, right? It's a reality. We don't like to talk uh, about money, but let me tell you this morning that the reason we talk—we're going to talk about money for the next couple minutes—is not because the church is financially poor and needs your money. Not at all. It's not because the church needs your money. It's not it has nothing to do with that. It's not about needing your money. It's about Jesus wanting all of your heart. This is not a financial issue. This is a discipleship issue. It's not about the church wanting your money, but it's because Jesus wants your heart. That's why we talk about these hard things. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, turn to uh, Matthew chapter six. We'll be there in a little bit. Just get your uh, your finger ready, and and, and we'll we'll be uh, at that place in just a moment. But the reason we're talking about this today um, is because Jesus wants all of our heart. But we are in a in a series where we're talking about our core values. These are core values. Uh, are five different things um, that we want you. If you attend our church for five years, remember we we talked about this with our uh, leadership team last year. If you to our church for five years, we want you to to leave this place if you leave, Uh, knowing these things, that these are things that, that shape us as a community. These are things that we believe that Jesus calls us to as the people of God. And so today we're going to talk about practicing extravagant generosity. God is the owner and provider of all. So we give back to God what God has given to us. This is an important part of our discipleship that we never talk about because it's that uncomfortable thing. But we have to remember to be a fully devoted follower of Christ is to have Jesus at the top of the list or at the center of our lives. So it's without a doubt important. We must put Jesus first in not all things. And here's the reason why. Every time I think about this, I think about an old quote from A.W. Tozer that, that says this. If Jesus is not Lord of all, then eventually he will not be Lord at all. Do you hear that? If Jesus is not Lord of all in our lives, eventually, over time, he will not be Lord at all. It's an interesting way how that works, and, and if you're like me, uh, you just like, shook your head, you didn't do it outwardly because people see, but you shook your head inside, and you said, yeah, not me, right? Not me, I'd, I'd never do that, that's not a reality, that, that's not going to happen to me, I'll, I'll, never, I'll, I'll never do that. But let's think about this for a second. If you've got your top 10, if you're the if you're the list person or if you've got your web and and let's go with the top 10 because it's easier. And Jesus is not number 1. Jesus is number 2 or number 3 when tough times come, it's easier for Jesus to move down the list, right? When you're hit with, uh, if, if money is number one, or if money is number two, if money is number six, or money's whatever, when financial times hit, when, when hardships hit, what goes to the top of the list if we're not careful? Money. That's all we think about. It consumes us. It rules us. It drives us. And so if Jesus is not at the top of the list continually, if Jesus is not at the center of life, if Jesus is not Lord of all, then eventually he will not be Lord at all. Move some three to four to eight to 10 to 25 position in our life. and, and, And we think that it can't happen to us. Now, I don't care if you're a preacher here this morning or if you just met the Lord yesterday. It can happen to every single one of us. In fact, when we first moved here, we were out to dinner with someone, and I, for the life of me, I can't remember who it was, so if it was you, I apologize. I forgot all about who, who I went to dinner with at this time. But we were at this restaurant in town, and uh, a couple people came in the door, and, and the, the person we were with said, oh, that's Susie So-and-so. She used to come to our church, and, and, and that's her husband there. And, and so they came to our church five years ago, and so I asked, you know, well, why, they didn't, why don't they come to our church? anymore and so I don't know and, and then another couple came it was like four or five people that came in into the restaurant because it was like Walmart in that place you can't leave without knowing somebody and and we were there and, and every one of them it' was like they yeah they came to our church three years ago they came to our church six years ago they came whatever and then for one of them it was a reaction that I'll never forget like it was like oh yeah they came to our church but I don't think they do the whole Jesus thing anymore It can happen to each and every one of us. In fact, I know preachers that that have gone to school for years and years and years that just don't do the Jesus thing anymore. If Jesus is not Lord of all, then eventually he will not be Lord at all. Well, the good news this morning is this is not a Nike, just do it campaign, get it done, or you're a horrible horrible person and you can feel guilty for a week. But this is a beautiful process of transformation that never stops. Whether you've been a Christian for a day or whether you've been a Christian for 80 years, it's a process that never stops. God is continually leading us to, to more and more devotion to him. Now, many of us know the story of, uh, of God's people, the story of Israel, how that they are slaves and, and then they are set free. How they are uh, wanderer. they were brought into the wilderness and, and God provided for them their needs, the manna that comes from heaven. And God led them and took care of them, uh, led them by a pillar of fire and a cloud in the day. And God was continually inviting them down the process of shaping. Some say that they left Egypt, but God had to get the Egypt out of them, right? It was a process. It was a a process of shaping for God's people where they learned to be fully devoted to him. They learned to totally rely on him. And the good news this morning is that that story is our story, that I was once a slave that I have been set free, that God has provided for my needs, that God leads me each and every day through the voice of the Holy Spirit. God continually shapes me and calls me to know and understand that, that God is the provider of all. And God is leading me, just like God led his people and and calling them forward to a land that they couldn't imagine. A land that was flowing with milk and honey. So God is, is calling us to a life with him that we could never dream up, even if we tried. A life where we walk and are devoted completely to Jesus. Good, good news, this, this process of transformation. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19 today, as we read the word of the Lord uh, today. If you don't have your Bibles with you, uh, no worries. It'll be on the screen this morning. But church, hear the word of the Lord. It says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. The word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. Every time, I'm always fascinated by the last verses of that of that section. the The idea of that that Jesus says you can't serve God and money, right? Like, why in the world is that money? I always think like it would be a lot easier for my simple brain if you just said you can't serve Jesus and, and Satan, right? Like, you can't do you can't you can't be a a servant of the light and the servant of the darkness, like black and white. Wouldn't that be easier? Maybe that's me, right? You can't you can't do this, like you can't serve this, because not all money's bad, but you, you you can't serve God and you can't serve money. Why in the world would money be in that in in that position, in, in that section? And I think that, that money is there very purposeful because Jesus Himself is declaring to us and stating for the world to, to know that money is gonna be a competitor for your heart. Right. You can't serve Jesus or you can't serve God and you can't serve money because money is going to be a competitor for your hearts without a, a doubt. Yet this is something that we don't talk about. Money is a competitor, not just for our time and not just so we can have more stuff, but money is a competitor for our hearts. And when we do talk about it, it makes us uneasy and we get angry at times. And, and it's just a weird, weird situation. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, the church just wants your money? Yeah. yeah, right. Now, don't raise your hand for this. I'm the only one that's allowed to raise my hand, right? How many of you have ever said with your own lips, the church just wants your money? I remember a time where we were going a, uh, to a very large church when we were in college. And we would sit in the back, it was a a very large church, and we'd sit in the back, and one day, um, this old guy came up with this cane, and he kicked us college kids out of his row. Like, he was, like, not playing around, we sat in his seat, (laughs) like, he was going to hit me with this cane, right? And so I remember, like, and then I went, like, on a two-month, three-month, like, rampage against the church, right? That's, That's a normal reaction, right? So I, but during that time, I'm sitting in this giant church and, and, and I'm there and we take the offering and that's all that I could think that the church just wants my money, that the church just wants my money because they want to do whatever with it. The church just wants um, my money. And I totally meant that as a slam against the church, right? It was a big church. I totally meant that as as a, as a, as a, as a, like a, a burn against the church. But I began, as I look back on it now, I began to understand that it wasn't telling me anything about the church. More, it was telling me about my heart. It was telling me about my, the position that I was in and how I was thinking and what was going on inside. The church just wants my money was just a symptom of what was happening within me. And I say it's this a symptom from, from what was happening in me because, be, because it has nothing to do with the church and it has more to do with my heart because the reality is, is that Target wants your money. Walmart wants your money. Sally's Beauty Supply wants your money. Cabela's wants all of the Lobdell Paycheck. Everything wants your money, right? Like everything around you wants your money. But the reality is, is that we don't complain about what we worship. You don't ever hear me complaining about Cabela's. We do not, my wife does, she just waves her hand, she witnessed. We do not complain about what we worship or where our heart is. We do not complain about what we worship or where our heart is. So when we talk about how the church just wants our money, like I said, it usually has nothing to do with the church, and it has every thing to do with our hearts because we don't complain about what we worship or where our heart is. My heart was not in the right place. Jesus says you can't be devoted to God, and you can't be devoted to money. You're going to be devoted to one or the other you're going to give your heart to one or the other but if it's like this with with God and money what do we do because everybody needs money right Like everybody's got to eat, everybody's got to live, everybody's got to do this. And so uh, an incredible shaping thing that I've learned that has changed my mindset and not only changed my mindset, has changed my heart through the years is this thing that we practice every single week called the offering and the giving of our tithe. Right. Some of us don't know what that is. The tithe is a is a ten percent. Comes from scripture. And so I was looking at our financial peace envelopes this morning, and there are no dollar bills in there. Right. So I had to print my own right on the church computer. I put void on it just in case you're worried, and they're bigger. Maverick is not going to take these. Right. So this is this is it. So if I if I'm giving a tenth. Right? So I've got $10, I think. I think I've got $10 here. If I'm giving a tenth, how many, how many of these dollars do I give back to God? One. Which one? This one? This one? The first one. Right? If I'm, if I'm giving a tenth of my income to God, I give God a, a $1 if I've got $10. And not only the $1, I give that $1 first. Because Jesus wants to be what in our lives? Jesus wants to be first in my life. So I don't go pay my mortgage. I don't go make a trip to Cabela's. I don't go do whatever I need to do and then hope that there's something at the end of the month. I do that first because God wants to be first in my life. God wants to be the center of all things. That this isn't just for fun. Like this is something that that tells something about us. This is something that shapes our hearts and our minds and our habits and and our physical world, right? This is a practice that God has, has implemented to help us in life. Now, let me just tell you some personal disclosure and vulnerability here this morning that I have struggled with the tithe a lot in my life. Like my wife is over here shaking her head this morning. Like, I have struggled with this concept and this idea uh, a lot in my life. And one of those ways that, that I've, the, the, one of those reasons that I've struggled with that is that the, um, a lot of my life was spent at poverty level. So I grew up with a single mom, poverty level. Uh, but not only was she a single mom that didn't have much money, she was just really bad with money, right? We don't just, those our skills are not natural. And so we grew up in that, in that situation, uh, and then we moved to this thing. I moved to this thing called college. Uh, and if anybody know what college is, you know you live at poverty level, and you eat too much ramen noodles. There's a study that said that those don't digest. It's awful, right? And so uh, you, you, you move from this place, and I, and, I've, and I developed this scarcity mindset. So I moved from, from a home that didn't have much to a college dorm room that didn't have much. And then I got married to this lovely lady on the front row, and, and, and we, she was still in college. And, and so then I was just scrambling to get as many jobs that I could, and, and we lived comfortably at poverty level, right? <laughs> and we were there, and, and we lived comfortably at poverty level. And then we felt like God was moving us to be uh, volunteer missionaries in Italy, I know, suffering for you and for Jesus. And so we moved there, and we, took a, we volunteered, so we took a full year of no pay, and so we just changed the location of where we lived in poverty, right? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and so we changed the location of where we lived through poverty, and, and while all of our friends were back home getting their first real jobs, and we're, we're, we're like not getting paid anything, but living in Italy. And so we come back, and, and Stephanie really wants to go to grad school because she's a smart kid. And, and so we, we, we go back to Kansas City, and we were, uh, we were poor when we got back to Kansas City because we hadn't made the money that whole year. And so we lived in her family's RV on a lake in Kansas during tornado season and enjoyed our poverty very much, right? And then we got our first real job, like our big boy, big girl job. And we became the senior pastors of this little church north of Kansas City. And we get there, and we're excited. It's awesome. But then we take a look at our pay stub, and we realize we're still living in poverty, right? Like nothing, not much change. And not only now are we living in poverty, but we're living in poverty, not in Sicily, but we're living in poverty in the middle of nowhere, and we have to drive an hour to get to school in Kansas City, right? We, we, we lived in this, in this cycle, in this movement of po- poverty, and it kind of perpetuated these ideas that I had. Because you know the stuff that shapes you deeply when you're a kid, when you grow up, they don't just disappear. <laughs> no, they don't. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I had this, this scarcity mindset. Like, there's not enough. Like when I was a kid, there's not enough. There's not enough of this, there's not enough of that, there's not enough money, there's not enough. We, in our church, we had, a, we had a large church, and we had a lot of people from around the world, Army Armytown, uh, and a lot of Koreans that made the best bagogi that your lips have ever touched. And so when it was potluck Sunday, I didn't care if I bowled you over to get to the front of the line. Because this was where there was enough, and I had to get enough because I didn't know when enough would come later. It was shaped by that mindset. It was scarcity. It was hold on to anything. And so, when we graduated college, I got this job um, at one eight hundred got junk, where I was hauling like uh, urine, cat urine stained carpet for a living, while living comfortably at poverty level. And and we sat down as a married couple. And we looked over our budgets and we worked out the tithe on the calculator. When I saw that number, I can't even explain what was in my heart. When I saw that number, it was like a verbal, like I said it, and I got in in trouble. It was a conflict. I said, like, absolutely not. Like, do you know how many hours I have to deal with cat pee to make that much money? Right? It was a a hold on. It was a grab. It was to to keep what I had because that's what I earned. Then we're not going to do that. That's absolutely crazy. Like, I don't know if we'll be able to eat. Like, where are you going to eat? At home, yeah. (laughs) Ramen noodles. I love you. (laughs) So we sat down and we wrote the check. And we did it. It hurt, but we did it. We were, we were faithful and we did it. And we got to that senior pastor because remember we didn't make any money in Italy. That was just a wash, like, right? And so we got to the senior pastor and we sat down and we, we realized that we, we, we qualified for, for, for food assistance, but we, we, we had to tithe because we couldn't stand up in front of people and call people to give and not do it ourselves. And so we did it and it hurt but we were faithful. It was it years and years of, of writing those checks, years and years of, of sitting down and saying, okay, this is what it is. Years and years of, of, of making a little extra on an odd job and, and calculating out what it was so that, to make sure that it was in the, in the offering. Years and years of the tithe, and as I look back now with clarity, I say without a doubt, it not only changed my mindset, it changed my heart. It not only helps me break that idea of of scarcity that I have to grab on because there won't be enough, that, that, that there isn't enough, it completely breaks that idea, but it changes our heart that we are people and we can become people of extravagant generosity. Because God will take care of us. That God is the owner and provider of all. Tithing is without a doubt a shaping practice. Tithing allows me to place God at the center of my finances, yes, without a doubt. But it's also shaped my heart to understand that Jesus is the owner, that Jesus is the provider. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one or love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Sometimes I'll talk to to someone in the church, and, and and I say this, and I'm going to go down this line of thought because I've explored this as well. I'll talk to somebody in the church that says tithing is an Old Testament thing. We don't have to do that in the New Testament. That's not that's not how God sets it up. And and like I said, I'll talk about it because I like I'm cheap. Like I explored that avenue, right? <laughs> And, and, and so we'll, we'll discuss this and we'll talk about this and, and we'll look at, at, at the scriptures and, and we'll, tithe, we'll, we'll find that tithing is a biblical principle that actually came before the law. And we also see in Matthew 23 where, where it's, it's talked about uh, again. But, but behind all that, if we've learned anything, if I've learned anything from all the classes and all the stuff and all the life lived is that grace always gives more than the law. Without a doubt, grace always gives more than the law. Grace is extravagant generosity. So be careful if you want to go that avenue, because it might be more than 10%, right? You might want to stay away. The reality is is that grace is extravagant generosity. And so I find myself at the same point, at the same point that I found myself when I explored it years ago, is how dare I? Like how dare I use the blood of Christ to get out of something that that will shape me and move me to put God first in my life? How dare I explore that avenue so I can give God my leftovers? That this is not about the church getting your money, but this is about Jesus getting your heart and all of it. This is about Jesus being at the center of our very lives. This is about us declaring that Jesus is Lord of all of my life, absolutely everything. That this is a heart issue, not a money issue. If giving is a heart issue, then we've got a little bit of a problem. And the problem is, is that if it is a heart issue, then then only 5% of evangelicals gave a tithe last year. Out of all of us, not just Church of the Nazarene, all of us, only 5% of us gave a tithe last year. In fact, why is it that we gave more per capita during the Great Depression than we do now? It's a a heart issue. It's not a, a money issue. In fact, that, that makes me like soul itch, that, that feeling of, of something's just not right, and I tithe. It's not a, not a money issue, it's a, it's a heart issue. But there's more than just the, the, the thinking about uh, the, the lack of tithe. Every time I think about it, the, the what if question always comes up. We have lots of social issues in our world. There's lots of things that we point at and we say, that's just not right. Like we need to find a solution for it. But we, but we, we don't. Said in, in one study, if evangelicals would give uh, that tithe, an additional $165 billion would be given for the church to bless the world. $165 billion. Or well, what if we just gave it out of the abundance of our heart? Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. In fact, there's good studies on this. There's an image I hear with, with all the different things of how much it would cost to solve this problem. Every one of them I've shaken my fist at at some point. right? $25 billion of that $165 billion could relieve global hunger. All of these these difficulties. And yet I stand on the the sideline and and, and shake my fist that somebody could could solve them, but think about the what-ifs. Incredible movements of grace and blessing could be shown to the people around the world, all in the name of Jesus. That's the what-if. It's good to think about on a big global level, but let's bring it back to Mountain Home a little bit. What if I tithe or what if I started to give out of the abundance of my heart? What if I, what if I gave what I had to give? Like what if, what could happen here in Mountain Home Idaho, through the Church of the Nazarene? Like what if we could provide families with more than just a Band-Aid, but structure and systems to help them in life? What if the church could provide a, a rec space or, or a gym where teens and kids in our community could not only play, but they could belong, and we wouldn't have to hear about it on Facebook anymore? Amen. <laughs> what if the, part, or the church could partner with missionaries around the world to build orphanages and take care of those who have been thrown away? What if we had more resources to reach those who are lost and to to bring them in? To be discipled together and we all get kicked out in the name of Jesus. To scatter in this town and in this street. What if? Like what if my investment in the local church, what if my giving back to God made an internal difference in somebody's life? all because I I place Jesus first in all things. Church, we are a people that practice extravagant generosity, that God is the owner and provider of all. We are people that practice extravagant generosity because Jesus is Lord. And we anticipate not only what we can do with resources that, that, that God brings about, but more importantly, we anticipate what God can do with people where Jesus is at the center of their lives in all things. That this is a journey, that we are God's people, and he is leading us to places and spaces that we could never imagine calling us to place Him first and at the center in all things. This morning, as we have the opportunity to respond in in worship, we um, not only have the opportunity to respond in worship, we have the opportunity to come forward and to receive communion, to come to the Lord's table today. We remind you that you don't have to be a member here or jump through any special hoops. We just ask that you are in need of God's grace, which we all are. But we are going to come forward and we are going to receive the bread which reminds us of the body of Christ broken for us. And we're going to dip that bread into some juice that calls us to remember the blood of Christ shed for us, all given in extravagant generosity on our behalf. So we ask you to come and to receive. Let's pray this morning, church. Lord, we thank you for your extravagant generosity towards us. as so we uh, take these elements of communion and we come to your table that is open for us, one that you've invited us to. Lord, we thank you for the ways in which you uh, have shown your generosity in our lives. Lord, we ask that you would continue to shape us as your people, that you would continue to, to call us forward, even at times we just want to sit down. Lord, we we pray uh, for our discipleship and for the ways in which we respond to your moving in our lives. Lord, maybe this morning we're we're all good with money, but you've invited us to um, explore another avenue where you are not first. You are not the center. Whatever it is, Lord, may we place you at the center of our lives. May we remember that through your grace, you empower us to live the ways in which you desire us to live. now we love you. We give you everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May you go from this place with hands like this, remembering that God...